I think if you took away Brexit, if you took away COVID, frankly, after climate change, technological innovation, AI, would probably have been the biggest things that we'd have been talking about. I think some of the debates around AI has got a little bit confused. If you want to have any hope to influence the future, you've got to be at the forefront of developing the, these new technologies. You know, you can't sit on the sidelines and then hope to influence what happens. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I've been a tech journalist for many years, and I'm joined this week by Anthony Walker, the Deputy CEO of Tech UK. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Jane. So Tech UK describes itself as the UK's Technology Trade Association, you boast nearly a thousand members. What do you see as being the sort of key role of the organisation? Good question to start off with. We're a membership organisation. We're here to represent our member companies. And as you said, we've got about a thousand companies that range from the biggest global players in tech. So all of the household names. Uh, all the way through to a a longer tail of large, mid-sized and smaller UK technology companies. And actually, in terms of the number of companies, probably about half of our membership are uh, SMEs. So we represent a very broad range of companies that operate right across the technology sector. And our job is to make sure that their views and concerns and ideas are understood by government and, and other policymakers but also to make sure that the UK is making the best of the opportunity of tech. So really making sure that the UK is able to uh, harness a tech in a way that's going to benefit people, society, uh, the economy, but also, crucially, of course, the planet as well. And what would you say that the top three concerns of your members right now are? Well, we've got a very broad range of members, so they have a lot of different different concerns. I think in terms of the big technology issue of the day, I mean, obviously, AI is, is right at the top of everybody's list in terms of what's happening in terms of the speed of innovation and, and, and the potential that that, that that brings. A lot of our members are focused on how the UK makes the best use of technology. So, so that the use of technology by the public sector, by government, by local government in areas like defence or healthcare. So a lot of focus on how do we make sure that as an economy and as a society, we're making best use of technology. And then I suppose the third area would be around some of the kind of challenging implications of technology. So lots of focus on things like online safety issues like fraud, an issue I've been working on quite a lot recently. So lots of questions about kind of, okay, how do you mitigate the, you know, the negative aspects and the downsides of technology as well? That's a very broad church, isn't it? How do you kind of balance all those different concerns and know what to focus on? 
We have about 20 plus programs or different types of activity across the organization that really are designed to bring companies together around the issues that they care about. So, for example, we've got groups that are focused on the relationship with public sector and public procurement. We've got a a big group of members that are focusing on the defense market, for example, or health and social care. And then we've got other members who are focused really on the kind of the policy and regulatory environment. So we've got different groups of members kind of who come together to to work on on different issues. But even then, you can have a a big group of people in the room, either physically or, or virtually. And our job is to have a good understanding of the range of views across across that group of companies and really try to kind of distill down the kind of the most important issues that they want to engage on and try and present when we talk to government or to other kind of policymakers, you know, try and present a kind of clear view of, of what companies are saying and what companies are thinking. What do you think has been the impact of the events we've seen in recent years? So we've had Brexit We've now got a pretty bad economic downturn. But how do you factor that in when you think about your members? I mean, not just in terms of the effect that it has on them, but how that changes your priorities. Yeah. So, I mean, Brexit was a huge challenge. Most of the regulation and the policy uh, that shaped technology was was set at a European level. So we've, we've had a big change in terms of bringing all the responsibility for that back into the UK and thinking through what might work differently uh, in the UK. So that, that was a big challenge, but we sort of got through that one pretty much unscathed. We then went through, obviously, the pandemic, which was a period of a, quite, you know, an extraordinary period for the tech sector, really. We saw this massive explosion of, of everybody sort of working online and businesses um, you know, having to transform the way in which they worked. Huge, huge demand for the products and services and expertise of the sector. Enormous challenges on telecoms networks in terms of kind of keeping all the, um, the you know the broadband connectivity up and running and so on and I suppose a lot of people sort of thought the world had fundamentally changed and and so whilst it was a period of tremendous kind of uh, innovation and growth it was probably a period where bits of the sector got a bit overvalued and I think there were some parts of the sector probably hired a few too many people kind of increased their capacity you know you know quite significantly and so so we've seen since since the, the pandemic a bit of a correction in, in that respect. But then, of course, we've had following the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the sort of energy crisis and the inflation in the economy, and that has had an impact, certainly on, on parts of the sector. But frankly, you know, the demand for digital innovation hasn't slowed down at all. There are many parts of the sector that, that, that remain very buoyant, seeing huge amounts of demand and remain very strong. So, so although we're in a period where you know, there's a bit of a correction for some of the high-profile big tech companies. There is a bit of a shift in terms of employment patterns. Overall, the demand for you know what the sector does and produces remains you know very very strong. Which are the ones that are really doing the best post-pandemic? Would you say? I mean, what areas of tech are you seeing the greatest innovation in? I think it's kind of hard to generalise. Really, I, look as I said, clearly companies at the forefront of AI have been the sort of very much in everybody's focus over the last last few months. But also just companies who are doing cloud-based B2B services, we continue to see very, very strong demand for those kind of services. The UK remains very, very strong and leader for, for e-commerce globally. Pretty much, I mean, across the board, I think we see quite a lot of strength. And I think in a way, it, it is a challenging time in terms of the wider economy. But even in downturns, businesses continue to look for ways in which to drive their productivity and to continue to drive their own growth potential. And a lot of that comes down to tech. So overall, demand for tech remains strong. 
So you've mentioned AI a couple of times. Let's drill down a little bit into that because in some ways it kind of came out of nowhere and slightly blindsided us in terms of chat GPT last November popping onto the scene and then within a couple of months had 100 million users. I think it was faster growing than TikTok. What, what sort of role do you see you playing in that? Is it to advise businesses how they use AI? Is it to advise government about how they regulate AI? Or is it both? Probably both, really. And actually, I mean, I think we were perhaps less surprised than others. In particular, we've, we've been doing a lot of work around the ethical questions that, that come out of AI for, for a number of years. And we understood the research that was happening in, you know, going into these large language models. And we knew that they were going to be quite kind of game changing. In a way, I think what happened last November was suddenly the rest of the world kind of caught up with some of what we've been talking about, what, what we've been predicting. But I think the pace of innovation since then has been astonishing. I think we ourselves now feel like, oh, we're in catch-up mode a little bit as we try to kind of get a sense of the pace and scale of, what, of what's happening at the moment. There are two things. I think we need to make sure that we're making the best possible use of these technologies. They have huge potential in all sorts of different areas, you know, whether it's biomedicine or whether it's in relation to kind of climate change. Applied in the right way, these technologies can be really profound and, and groundbreaking. But they also raise lots of complex questions and challenges and, and, and in terms of the ethics, governance and, and regulation of, of these new technologies. And so we're also doing a lot of thinking about, about those issues as well. And frankly, a lot of work has already been done on, on, on the ethics. A lot of the big questions have been asked. Um, a lot of good thinking has been done about the right approach to take. I think we're now at the stage we now need to kind of put that into practice, I think, and really to start to take the right steps and in making sure that we can go on and, and innovate with confidence. And what are those right steps, in your opinion? I think some of the debates around AI has got a little bit confused. All sorts of issues are raised, whether it's what are we going to do about deep fakes, the emergence of this new kind of synthetic video and voice media, concerns about disinformation. I think those are all very kind of near-term issues that we need to be thinking about right now and, and really thinking about, OK, well, how are we going to manage those as a society? And then you have the big questions around, well, what if we get to a position where we have an AI that is sentient almost, and it suddenly seems to be more powerful and capable than humans? And those, are, I think, are a bit more kind of abstract questions at the moment, but they're still questions that we need to answer. So I think part of what we need to do is unpack things a little bit in terms of what are the kind of short-term things that we need to be fixing now? What are the things that we need to be We've got a bit of time to think about, but it's only the next two, three years where we've got to kind of work out what we're going to do. And then what are the issues that are kind of long term, maybe decades or more, but we really need to think about how we are going to address them. And, and right now, I think we need to do a bit of sorting of those issues. And then I think secondly, I think a lot of good work has been done around principles about how you innovate responsibly in terms of AI. We need to show how we can put those principles into practice. I think a lot of companies do put those principles into practice already. Transparency, accountability, being really cognitive about biases and, and, and how you prevent biases and so on. A lot of deep thinking has been done by the ethicists, by the technologists on those kind of issues. And I think we kind of know what we need to do there. And it's about kind of putting all those frameworks kind of very firmly and clearly and, and overtly into action. Do we know about them, though? I mean, you'd say transparency and even the scientists behind these systems don't really necessarily know how their systems are learning. So how can you be transparent about something when it's a black box? 
So I think this is where a lot of work's been done looking around issues around AI auditing, starting to look at where you use particular technologies for particular purposes. So context and, and, and purpose kind of matters making sure that actually you can account for the decisions that are being made or the outputs that are being made. It doesn't mean that you necessarily have to unpack the whole algorithm to understand everything, but it's about making sure that you can understand the decisions that were made and then ultimately making sure that somebody is responsible and somebody is accountable. And so making sure that the the companies providing the services or, or those building the services or using or applying the technology understand and are very clearly kind of accountable to what happens because ultimately i think we have to make sure that there is a human in the loop and there is a human who is accountable for, for what what happens we could talk about ai for the whole of this episode i'm just going to ask you one more question on it and then we'll move on do you think the government has got the right approach on this it feels a bit like they're slightly at odds with each other you've got rishi sunak talking about a light touch regulation, investing lots of money and wanting to be the leader in AI. And then you've got the Competition and Markets Authority announcing that they're going to be scrutinising AI. Do those things sit together? Or do you think the UK has got its position on this right? Um, oddly, yes, I do, actually. First of all, I think if you want to have any hope to influence the future, you've got to be at the forefront of developing the, these new technologies. You know, you can't sit on the sidelines and then hope to influence what happens. You know, unless you're developing the technology, you don't have that opportunity to influence. And the UK does have a leading position in terms of AI development. And I think we need to we need to use that. So so I think we want to have a policy that's focused around being at the forefront of, of innovation. But I think we also need a policy of being at the forefront of, of thinking about the, the regulation and, and, and governance. I think it's absolutely right that government and regulators need to understand the, the technology. They need to understand the companies that are driving the innovation and need to understand how the markets are working. So from that perspective, I'm very comfortable with the CMA scrutinizing the sector and, and, and having a good understanding. And then the other thing I think is these technologies are going to move quickly. Uh, there is going to be new issues will emerge, new concerns will emerge. And, and so we need to be kind of fleet of foot in how we address them. And I think if I draw a parallel with an, another big issue, which is online safety, that's an area where we've been talking about doing things for about five or six years, and we still don't have a, a final bit of primary legislation yet. And I think when it comes to AI, we can't afford to move that slowly. So I think we're going to need an approach that's more fleet of foot, more ability, more able to be agile and to adapt to circumstances and, and adapt to the technology. So I think that's what the government are trying to do with their approach that they've set out in their AI white paper. But at some stage, the rubber will have to hit the road in terms of, you know, there will have to be regulation and we will have to make some, some decisions. We would favour a sort of a series of small steps rather than trying to have a, a giant leap of coming up with a whole new framework and then that takes years and years and years to implement. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact.
You mentioned online safety there. Let's talk about that a bit because that's probably the biggest bit of legislation for the tech sector in recent years. It's a monster piece of legislation. Is it fit for purpose, would you say? If we were starting from scratch, I don't think we'd start from here. I think you're right. I think the bill has probably become too big, too top heavy, too complex. Even when the bill is implemented, then there is a huge amount of work in terms of secondary legislation and guidance that's required from Ofcom and so on to make sense of really what the bill is saying. You know, when the bill is implemented, we still won't really have a completely clear idea of what the bill is going to do because we're still relying on guidance that hasn't been produced yet. So I think the bill is too complicated. I think it's too big, too too unwieldy, but it is what it is. And we certainly don't want to go backwards from where we are. So we're keen to get the bill completed and then we'll take it from there. But I I think for a lot of businesses, I think the bill is going to bring a lot of uncertainty. And I think a lot of businesses will be unclear what they're required to do. We're slightly concerned that the default response from a lot of companies will be to sort of age gate their services. A lot of the bill is focused on young people. So you'll just have a lot of services that will have an age verification system added to them. And then under 18 simply won't be able to use the service. And not because there is huge inherent risk, but it's just because that's the easiest thing for companies to do to comply. I worry that that might be the outcome. But there are some important elements of the bill. These are important issues that needed to be addressed. And as I said, we we need to kind of move forward with it. But again, I I think if we're starting from scratch, I wouldn't start from here. You mentioned age verification, and that's been a, a thorny topic for as long as I've been writing about technology. It surprises me that you think it will sort of suddenly be solved. Is there tech out there right now that can solve this problem? And you think going forward, everybody will introduce that into their services, do you? Yeah, I mean, there are a number of companies who have have now got very advanced age verification systems. Age verification is always challenging. Age verification and online identity are complex issues, particularly when you're trying to, to manage the data protection aspects and so on. I think that the impact of the bill actually will be that it will accelerate the adoption of these services And I'm I'm sure that will throw up some issues because some of the technology is extremely good, but there will always be cases where where it it doesn't completely deliver on the intended outcome. Mm -hmm. Another issue that's perhaps not yet sorted from the online safety bill is how on earth companies that have end-to-end encrypted services are going to prevent images of child abuse being spread. And I don't think anybody's really clear on that yet. Are you clear on on how that will work? No, I mean, I think there is quite a lot of scepticism about the technological solutions that that have been proposed by government. And at the moment, I think some of the companies who provide those messaging services are being very clear that that if they are asked to compromise their, their encryption on those services that they would see that as a very grave step and, and they would consider whether it, it, you know, whether they want to continue offering their service in the UK. So I think we're still on a bit of a standoff on, on, on that issue. It, it's, a, it's a really complex issue. Clearly, nobody wants that kind of content on their services full stop. I think there are arguments about, you know, there are, there are other ways to identify that kind of harmful content and try and address it. I don't think we we completely buy the argument that the security services and and, and the police kind of go blind as a result of encryption. You know, there there are ways you can look at metadata and other things that can help you to kind of target, you know, potential abusers and so on. But, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, encryption is a bit of a zero-sum game. You know, you either have 
really solid end-to-end encryption or or you have flawed end-to-end encryption that is vulnerable. That's still where we are, I think. It's quite an innovative bill, isn't it? The UK is kind of leading the way on this. And it seems to me that the UK is very keen to lead the way on lots of bits of tech. I remember when it talked about leading the way on smart cities, both you and I remember when the UK wanted to be the leader in broadband. Now it's wanting to be the best for AI. But is it really achieving those goals? I mean, let's think about broadband, which I know you know very well. There's still pockets of the UK that have really, really poor coverage. So we haven't even really got to grips with that issue as a nation, have we? On the broadband point, I think lots of other countries share that problem. So, you know, getting down to that last few percent is really, really hard. It's extraordinarily expensive. You know, finding solutions is not straightforward. I think where the UK has done well on broadband is is actually in the fact that largely most of the connectivity that's been deployed has been deployed by the private sector, which I think is a a good thing. I I remember many, many years ago when people said it was going to be impossible for anybody to get more than two and a half megabits. So the the market uh, has delivered far, far more than what many people imagined it could do. But I think coming back to your your question about leadership, I I think the UK does tend to talk up this game about being a kind of global leader. The UK has some fantastic assets in terms of its technology base, in terms of its universities. We certainly are world leading in terms of kind of things like e-commerce and so on. I think particularly after the last five years, when frankly, you know, politics and government has been very distracted by other things, I do worry that the UK needs to recognise that the rest of the world is accelerating too, and that we need to kind of actually deliver on some of these kind of promises. And, in, in, you know, in a number of areas, whether it's online safety, whether it's governance of AI, actually, the EU has, has been quicker to bring proposals to the table. That is noticed. So I think we need to kind of speed up and we need to be a bit more fleet of foot and, and move more quickly to make sure that we are at the forefront of you know these important new technologies. And we talked earlier about some of the turmoil that the whole world faces, but the UK's had some pretty tumultuous times in recent months. I'm thinking about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, the government ending its funding of Tech Nation us seeing the biggest lobbying group for British business, CBI, getting into all kinds of of trouble. How damaging is all of that stuff, do you think? I think they're all quite different issues. And I think we're always going to be sort of buffeted by events that kind of seem to come from from left field. I think actually the response on Silicon Valley Bank, I I don't think we necessarily got into a bad place at the end of it. And I think there is the potential to leverage the capital base that's now there. That could have a kind of positive impact. So I think you've got to look at these issues separately. What matters for me, I think, is clarity of purpose. And I think that's what, you know, and, and you know, look, we're going into a general election. You know, we're, we're, on, we're now on the run into a general election. And I think, you know, what we really want to see from the political parties as we go into this period is is a real kind of clarity of purpose of the role that they they believe that technology plays in a modern society, in a modern economy, a kind of clear vision of how they want the UK to benefit, and then a real commitment to kind of work in partnership, you know, with, with the industry and, and, and the sector that can drive that innovation to make all that, all that happen. And I think our politics has been very distracted the last five years. I think if you took away Brexit, if you took away covid Frankly, after climate change, technological innovation, AI would probably have been the biggest things that we'd have been talking about. And those two issues haven't gone away. And actually, they are the really big things that, you know, if we're thinking about kind of 
our children's generation and life that's ahead of them, you know, these are the really big things that, that we we have to address and we have to get right. And we're sort of hoping that we're going to come back to a period where we can focus with more clarity on those big issues. And finally, just let's talk about tech's biggest issue, from my point of view anyway, which is lack of diversity. I know that you as an organisation are committed to that. Can you give me just one or two practical things that you're doing as an organization to solve that? We've been doing a huge amount on really promoting kind of female role models and encouraging, you know, really trying to reach out to younger girls and young women to to come into the sector. I think we've been creating more inclusive routes for people to come into the sector. And, and in terms of numbers coming in, definitely improving. The biggest challenge remains the retention challenge. And actually, it's when people take a kind of career break to have children and then not coming back into the sector. And I think that remains a really big issue uh, for us, how we encourage people to return into the sector, how you kind of create the flexibility that people need to be able to, to match their, their, their lives with returning careers. And I think that that's the area where, where we want to continue to put pressure. But it's also where that links into other areas of policy, you know, you know, childcare provision being the number one issue. So I, I think there's always more work to do. I think the sector is very focused. Every, every, every Tech UK board meeting that we have, we, we talk about diversity. I know our members are very focused on it, but it's a super tanker kind of that we have to turn around and it's going to take sustained effort. But I do see lots of new, exciting uh, young talent coming into the sector and there is huge demand, you know, huge demand for people. I'm hoping we're starting to point in the right direction, but there's still a long way to go. We've covered a huge amount of topics in that short space of time, Anthony. Thank you so much for joining me. But sadly, that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. To keep up to date with all the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you can also get in touch with me on those platforms at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. <laughs>